It was March 17th, um, just a normal evening of re-engage. Um, my wife was out of town, she was at a conference, and so I was there by myself that evening. Um, but I was excited about going. Uh, just love being a part of the group, being there, sharing in community, um, building our marriages together. So um, I thought that day was going to be like any other day, just kind of go there, um, receive some things, um, be able to help others with their marriages, and kind of go home and just go about my merry way. Um, um, I remember getting a phone call um, in the middle well, I guess more towards the end of the evening. And it was my cousin calling me. And I didn't really think of anything of it. I just figured maybe she wanted to talk. And so I figured, okay, um, I can talk to her later. Um, moments later, uh, I got a, another phone call um, from my mom this time. I stepped out and um, went to answer the phone. And my mom immediately tells me that um, that my brother had been shot um, in the chest. I didn't know what to say. I, I didn't know what to do. All I could do was just kind of stand there and hold the phone. And something within me, I'm not sure what it was, but something in me told me, like, you need to go back into the room. They just, they just asked me, like, are, are you okay? And all I could say was, you know, my, my brother's been shot. It immediately, I, I just felt hands on me. Um, it was like my world had just went dark, but I didn't feel alone in the moment because I knew there were people sur surrounding me in that moment. Um, felt hands on my shoulders, hands on my back. You know, I had people, you know, kneeling beside me. Um, that was probably one of the best things they could have done for me in that moment. I remember my hands being so shaky, just wondering what's going on, and they helped me to, to call my wife and to help her. Um, and with my wife on the phone, um, we, we, we just all sat there and prayed. One by one, each person um, just prayed for me, prayed for my family. Um, man, they were just so willing to, to to support me in that moment, even though I had no idea of how I needed to be helped. There, there was no idea of like what it, what I needed to do because I was in such shock. But they were also willing to, to step in. Um, they invited me to their homes. They invited, um, they invited me to stay the night. They were willing to stay up all night with me if need be. They were willing to, to talk with me, to to listen, to, to do whatever it was necessary. I just kind of embraced that. Embraced the fact that, that God was supporting me through these people, through these people that I've been building this relationship with just as they were so supportive and were willing to just pray and to, to support me even just by sitting there and talking they were, they were pretty adamant like do we need to get you home and I finally reluctantly said yeah I need to go home um, like this situation is pretty serious like I need to get home um, 
and they were just like, well, let's figure out a way to pay for a plane ticket then. Does your wife need to be there? Like, let's get her home too. You're willing to just do that for me? That doesn't make any sense. It was like we were soldiers and they were going through battle with me, not even knowing what was going on. My brother's gone now. Um, he didn't. He he didn't make it. Even in the, the one of the darkest moments of my life, God sent me a blessing. Um, he sent me the blessing of people, people who loved like he loved, and there there's no way. Even when they didn't fully understand and. We didn't fully understand what was going on or, or what needed to happen, that they were so willing to to sacrifice and so willing to, to, to carry that burden with me, to carry that burden with us. And words can't, words can't describe just how much that means to a person. So if you're still iffy about joining a community, like, just... Just think about what you could be missing. Like that that means you're you're doing life alone and we're not meant to do life alone. We're just not. We're meant for relationship. But take take that chance, you know. Be willing to take that risk. Cause maybe you won't have a tragic experience like I did, but at least you'll have an opportunity to, to experience God just that much more. That was, uh, that, that was Brandon Bolden. He is a member here at WFR. He's out of town in case he's watching. Let's give him a hand for sharing that story. Thanks, Brandon. This morning, I'm continuing our sermon series called Group Life. Our goal is to get you to live life. And because we don't want you to miss it, we got it real big right here. We want you to live, everybody say that with me, life connected. Let's do that one more time. We want you to live life connected. This morning, I'm going to be talking about doing life. But to do that, I want to remind you of the mission of our church. So if you turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 22. And then we're going to go a couple of chapters forward to Matthew 28. I'm going to try to make this as expedient as possible and make sure I'm just giving you the meat here. I want to get you guys out a reasonable time. So I'm going to go ahead and read, even though I hear uh, pages turning. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus has asked, what's the greatest command? He says, you guys will be familiar with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. A few chapters later in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives his disciples the great commission. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Here's how we summarize this at WFR. I'm going to say it, and I want you to say it with me. We're going to love God, love others, and share Jesus. Let me hear you, let me hear you say that with me. Love God, 
love others, and share Jesus. As leaders, we've been praying about how can we really challenge our church family to live out the mission of our church. That's an awesome mission statement, if I may say so myself. To love God, to love others, and share Jesus. It's all about fulfilling the great commission in the spirit of the greatest commands. But if I were to ask you this morning what I thought you might think on how to live out the spirit of the Great Commission in light of the greatest commands, this is what I would say the answer would be. And I hope you would say this too. And I've prayerfully and studiously considered the answer to this question. And here it is. The answer is you've got to live life in small groups. Let me say that again. The answer in how to live out the mission of this church is to live life in small groups. David was saying earlier as he was intro on our services. Under the umbrella of small groups, we got two categories we're offering you. One category is ministry groups. Ministry groups are things like heartfelt ministries. Things like re-engage, celebrate recovery, divorce share, and grief share. These are specific groups that are designed to target people with particular needs in their lives. What we are doing through this series is encouraging you, and I'm going to make some demands on you this morning, to get in our second category of group, which is a community group. Our community group series concludes... With the group link event, September 11th, 2016, 5 p.m., it's going to be over at the Howard Center, uh, right here at WFR. I lied. It's not going to be at the Howard Center. It's going to be right here. Okay? So, I, I, your preacher didn't lie. Lord, that's not the truth. It was a mistake. I'm still pretty solid in terms of sanctification, all right? So, to live out our mission, we want you to get in a small group. I'm continuing the sermon series in Acts chapter 2. Let's go there now. I'm going to be starting in verse 42. How do you live out the mission of WFR? How do you love God, love others, and share Jesus? I think the only way you can do that is to live in a small group kind of a lifestyle. Let's look at the way the New Testament church, the earliest church, lived. And I'm going to coach you on three things. Here's our text for this morning. The Bible says this in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The first quality in the early church that really informs our thinking on our group ministry is the devotion of the early church. If we were to break Acts chapter 2 verse 42 down, we would see that the early church was devoted to four things. We just read them. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to breaking of bread, and they were devoted to prayer. And I want to step back from this for a second. I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. I don't want you to answer this question. But, but, 
but I want you to think about the answer to the question of do you right now have time, do you have time to devote yourself to a community group? Do you have time to devote yourself to a community group? I think the answer for lots of you is the same as the answer for me. And I'm going to tell you what the answer is for me. The answer for me is no. We're busy in the United States of America. I got three kids under the age of eight. We always got somebody running out the front door with hardly any clothes on trying to chase after them and cover them up. Or we got a vehicle with a nail in the front right tire or one that needs an oil change or one that's out of alignment. Or dogs that are trying to dig under the fence to get at the neighbor's cat. Or neighbors who are all weirded out by this family who's got kids running half naked out the front door chasing them with towels. And that all happened to me in the last 48 hours. And the last 48 hours in my home were relatively calm. So that pales in comparison to some of the stuff we deal with in my home on a daily basis. And lots of you are just like me. But I want you to ask yourself what you are devoted to. Let me pose a couple of questions to you to help inform your thinking here. How many of you this fall are going to be devoted to spending time out in the woods hunting for your favorite animal of choice? How many of you are going to find the time despite your busyness, to be out in the woods hunting some certain type of wild animal, okay? Let me ask you another question. How many of you are going to find the time this fall to watch almost every single game of football played by your favorite team? Almost everybody under the sound of my voice, right? Somebody may have said even a curse word over here. I don't know. No. Devotion, by definition, is the thing or things that we arrange our lives around. All of you guys are just as busy as me. I think all of us feel that pressure of, I don't know that I really have time to devote to one more thing. But each of us is going to find the time to devote to the things we really want to do. I can tell you I don't have time for much, but I'm not going to miss a workout very very frequently. And I know you can't tell that, but at least that's my goal. And there are things that you enjoy that despite your busy, crazy, chaotic, hectic schedule, you're going to devote yourself to and you're going to orient or arrange your time around the things that you like to do. In the early church, these individuals made connecting with each other. They made living life connected a priority. They made living life connected an absolute priority. They wanted to connect with and fellowship with and live life with people who shared in their devotion they had to the teaching of the apostles. They wanted to be influenced by the, the teaching of the apostles and influenced by people who were influenced by the teaching of the apostles. And what they found is that when they lived in fellowship together and really lived life connected, it had an influence on their thinking. When they hung around people that believed Jesus Christ was God's son, that he loved them, that he gave his life for them, that they had purpose in God's kingdom and they should evangelize and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And when they fellowship with people, that changed their thinking. It was powerful for them to know they had a place. And not only did the devotion they had to the apostles' teaching change their thinking, their devotion to fellowship protected them from trials. 
Let me show you a picture of what I'm meaning here. If you guys would flip forward in that slide, this next picture. This is a picture of what I call the demonic ants of death and terror. All right. This is a picture of what I call the demonic dance of death and terror, primarily because they usually always target my bride and my children. I grew up in Kansas. We didn't have these in Kansas. We had a miniature version of these that weren't as intimidating as these are. Down here, you call them fire ants. Okay? Now, these, these creatures have adapted some, in some incredible ways. This picture right here shows an adaptation that the fire ants do during flood or rainy seasons. What happens to fire ants during floods or during rainy seasons is they link themselves together. Literally, they hold on to one another. And when they do, fantastically, they create a raft made out of their own bodies that floats on top of the water. Can you imagine this? So scientists have been really perplexed by how they've developed this capacity. And they've even tried to test what happens when you deliberately try and apply pressure to submerge the raft. You can see that in the bottom right picture on the screen. One of two things happens when, when people or scientists try to apply pressure to sink the raft. They hold on tighter and maintain their shape and become adaptable and moldable and still float. Or if the pressure is too, too great, they just separate around the object, let it fall right through and then regroup and maintain the ability to float. But it's their link together, it's their devotion to fellowship, to use the language we're using this morning, that protects them from an element that would otherwise completely destroy them. That's the exact same influence the early church's devotion to fellowship had on them. It was not popular in the time of the early church to say you are a Christian. You had the Jewish people persecuting you say, hey, if it's true that you can really be a son of God by believing in Jesus Christ and being baptized for remission of sin, then that completely contradicts our way of life and thinking. So they persecuted the early church. The pagans during the time of the early church were like, hey, if we follow your teachings and ideals and we can't do the sexual or promiscuous or pagan things that we like to do, so they persecuted the early Christians. And if these guys weren't devoted to fellowship, the trial and tribulation they faced would have overwhelmed them. And so, and so they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were devoted to fellowship. When they came together, they broke bread to remember and proclaim the majesty and power of Jesus Christ. Most commentators think that they were taking communion when they met together. And in the same way our lives depend on sitting down at the dinner table two or three, or in my case, six or even seven times a day. Can I get an amen, somebody? We have to allow ourselves to be replenished and sustained by Jesus Christ often and regularly. That allows us to be powerful and strong regardless of circumstance. And it led to the early church having a testimony of being able to overcome regardless of what was thrown at them. And these guys were also devoted to prayer. I want you to write down two verses if you're taking notes. I don't have them on the screen. The first verse is Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. And the second one if you're taking notes is Acts chapter 9 and verse 40. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, the Bible records the disciples praying regularly, almost continually in Acts 
These guys were devoted to prayer. They were praying all the time. It's not coincidental that after the Bible indicates how devoted they were to prayer in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, that they experience a miraculous move of God and 3,000 people are baptized into Christ the very next chapter. You see, their prayers actually usher in Pentecost. Later on in the book of Acts, chapter 9 and verse 40, a lady named Tabitha, whose name is Dorcas in the Greek, is dead. Peter is summoned to go to the house. He realizes she's dead. The first instinct he has is to drop to his knees and pray. What does God do through his prayer? He raises this lady from the dead. Now, I don't intend to develop a theology of miracles here. Someday I will, but I'm not going to do that right now. Here's what I do want to say. God can do anything, y'all. He is a big, huge God. We've had people healed just this week, Kurt Lively. God's done some incredible stuff in the lives of people all across this church. And he does it as a result of our devotion and commitment to prayer. These guys weren't so saturated with unanswered prayers that they hesitated to pray in bold, powerful ways. God no doubt moved so powerfully in the New Testament church because these guys prayed so devotedly. So it's all about devotion. It's all about arranging our lives around the teachings of Scripture, around fellowshipping together, around replenishing ourselves by communing at the Lord's table and taking time to pray big, huge, unimaginable prayers so that our God can do exceedingly abundantly above even what we think or ask for. And that's how these guys promoted one another and they promoted Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, we're going to pick up our text. The Bible says, all believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So this is the vision I get. I'm going to step off the stage, so pan camera out, right? This is the vision I get. I get, the, I get the sense that these guys, see now I stepped off into your territory. And I got everybody's attention way better than I just did. Right? But it feels more intimate, doesn't it, when I'm down here? It's not like I'm so far removed up on stage and I'm this guy preaching and you're, you guys are these guys listening. So here's the vision I get. These guys were meeting in homes and somebody pulls up, and let me translate to today's language. Somebody pulls up and they start meeting and they say something like this. Guys, my wife was just diagnosed with cancer. And we, and we don't have the money to pay. And they disclose this huge, huge need. Now the reason why this would have happened in the New Testament church is because there wasn't a group of people on planet earth that would have cared what the needs were in the lives of these guys. So they had to have each other's backs. And what happens in, in, the, in the book of Acts and what was happening in the New Testament church is these guys were saying, hey, hey, I want you to take a good look around my house, brother. And if you see a possession in here that you think is worth the cost or the amount of the treatment your wife is going to require, then I want you to list it on Facebook. Let's put a for sale sign on it. Let's get rid of the property and let's pay up those medical bills so that the need you have in your life can be met. 
you know, I got a, I got a truck, man, that I love, and I'm being serious. It does have a nail and it's right front tire. It does need alignment and it's 3,000 miles past oil change. I just haven't had time to do it, y'all. And I got a little bit of equity in the truck, but it's hard for me to think, man, if somebody came to my house and voiced that, that I would sell that truck just to meet those guys' needs. And I feel like I should be honest with you about that. But I think that's how we in church become nominal, sleepy Christians. Because we really love our stuff more than we love the mission of the church. I'd really rather be driving my 2012 Chevy Silverado with a bad alignment, needing an oil change and a nail in its right front tire, then I would meeting the need of my brother or my sister in Jesus Christ the way Jesus himself has asked me to do. And so the church just gets lulled to sleep in the comfort of their daily lives. Not so in the New Testament church. And they were one-upping it even more. They weren't just saying, hey, look at my truck. They were saying, check this house out. i got lots of equity in this thing and we don't need two of these bedrooms. So I'm going to list this thing for sale today and everything that you need to pay your medical bill, I'm going to use that profit to pay those medical bills. You see, these guys were really willing to give up whatever was required to give in to the type of surrender Jesus was calling them to. And so everybody got the royal treatment. Everybody in the early church felt like they were as valuable as everybody else because each person was willing really to surrender and to give and to get familiar with the need and figure out a way that they together could be stronger than any of them could be individually. And that's how it's supposed to work. And man, these guys experience an emotional transformation as a result. Let me get that next slide up here. Okay. I've talked about the devotion of the early church. These guys were devoted. Apostle teaching fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. They arranged their lives around what was good for them spiritually. Not based on what was good for their favorite sports team or their favorite hobby or their favorite homie. And they gave in. They gave up and gave in so everybody could be treated royally. And they promoted each person among their group. And they promoted the Lord Jesus Christ all around their communities. And what's the result? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I'm going to say some scriptures that you guys are familiar with. Right? John 16.33, Jesus says, In the world you're going to have tribulation, but be at peace or be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul basically says the same thing. He says, hey, don't be anxious for anything, but just pray about stuff. Or how about in James chapter 1 and verse 12? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for when he's been tried, he'll receive the crown of life. We get those verses. All right, stay with me. I'm almost done. We get those verses. Are you hearing me? We get those verses and we know them, but why are we not living in the power of those verses? Why in the middle of tribulation am I really not experiencing the peace of God like Jesus said I would in John 16:33? Why in the midst of anxiety and difficulty and struggle when I'm praying am I still anxious like the apostle Paul said I wouldn't be in Philippians 4? Why in the midst of trial and tribulation do I not feel blessed 
but instead feel cursed. Why is that? And why is it that these guys could go through trial, tribulation, and tests and still have gladness in their heart? I'm going to tell you why. They were living life connected. They could do more together than they could apart. And when they got together and they helped each other and they held each other up and they had each other's backs and they really lived life together, they felt glad because they were overcoming. And that's what so many of us miss because we're simply not willing to be devoted enough to connecting in a way that would help us overcome the junk in our lives. Now let me flip the script a little bit because the second part is really the whole reason I wanted to preach this specific passage here. What was the condition of these guys' hearts when they met? And I'm, I'm going to ask it. The condition of their hearts was sincere. Alright? The condition of their hearts was sincere. The condition of their hearts was So when they met, when they met together, when they met together, they were not using the only four-letter F word we approve in Christian circles. They didn't use this word. You know what word it is? Fine. We get together. Hey, hey, what's up? Hey, good to see you, brother. Awesome. Glad you're here. Hey, good. Awesome. You brought the casserole. Great. Put it over there. Take a seat. Hey, how was your day? It was fine. How's your week? Oh, it was fine. No, it was not fine. You got a nail in your right front tire. Your vehicle's 3,000 miles past an oil change. It needs an alignment. You got kids running out your front door naked in oncoming traffic. Your week was not fine. Your boss showed up with a bad attitude and took it out on you. You've been arguing with your spouse. Your kids are struggling in school. You got a family member who's ill. You got one maybe on drugs. Your week was not fine. And when you use that F word in a group setting and you're not sincere, that's like flipping somebody a spiritual middle finger. And saying, I don't want you in my life at all. Now, as I was thinking about that, I thought, man, that's harsh because I've done that. I've said, hey, it's fine. I said, I've said, I'm fine when I'm really not. Why did I do that? Why, why would I, your preacher who loves you and wants to be an overcomer and with a glad heart, why would I do that? Two reasons. The first is, I think what probably lots of you guys think, and here it is, um, Lord, I don't want to burden these guys with my junk. They got enough to worry about. Okay? Man, look, God bless you guys for thinking that. Okay? I appreciate the compassion. But the enemy is deceiving you if that's your mentality. Because it isn't sincere. And the Bible calls us to sincerity. Okay, let me tell you the other reason that I think is really the core of that first reason. The core is I'm ashamed and humiliated of the legitimate needs I really do have in my own life. And I get ashamed and humiliated of the legitimate needs I have in my own life because really what happens is I elevate Trent to the level of God in his own life 
And to admit I have a need is equal to admitting I'm really not God in my own life and I really don't have it figured out and I'm really not making enough to pay all the bills or I'm really not an effective parent enough to keep the kids in line or I'm really not smart enough to figure out all the world's problems and I'd rather just say everything's fine and flip the spiritual middle finger to my group than have to get candid and say I'm not okay. And that's why I want you guys to get connected. Because that's the way you were designed to live. That's what God's purpose in you is. Is to, for you to be able to hold up others. And I don't care what your resources are or how smart you think you are or you are not. Or how little time you feel like you have to give or how much. It doesn't matter. You're always going to be able to give something. And somebody has a need. I'm telling you this. That only you can meet. But you've got to be sincere. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 8.32. The truth will set you free. Don't get in there and say I'm fine when you're not. And not tell the truth. You're not going to get set free. James chapter 5 and verse 16 talks about this exact, exact same thing. Confess our real stuff to each other if we really want healed. Don't you tell me the four-letter F word that's acceptable in Christianity that you're fine if you really aren't fine. Now, here's where that gets tough. What if I picked you out of a crowd and said, Brother, come on up here. I know I've inspired you. I just want you to stand right here this morning. I want you to tell this whole group of 1,500 people all of the stuff in your life that you're not fine about right now. No, that ain't going to happen. But what if you were meeting with a group of 10 to 15 people that you've been meeting with pretty regularly, and then boom, the enemy hits you with something? That's a setting in which you could really share and be open and honest. And that's what we want our connection, our community groups to really be about. Is a place where you can experience gladness because you're overcoming stuff and you're doing life together. And where you can have sincerity and really disclose and really let others love and minister to you. And if that's your life and your lifestyle, how can you not praise God? If you're living a life where you're sincere and you're overcoming obstacles which makes you glad, how can we not praise God? And so then this is how it's supposed to work, right? You get together, you start to disclose, people lift you up, you start to feel glad. Pretty soon you're praising God and now you don't want to watch the game. You don't want to go hunt. You don't want to go shop for new Michael Kors purses that are on sale at Dillard's. I'm going to tell you what, I look great in a Michael Kors purse, y'all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. Yeah, It'll take some time to, to get sober off some of your own hobbies. But you can do it because God's going to help you do it. And pretty soon those guys you hang out with that have just as much junk as you do, that lift you up, that love on you, that encourage you, that you share your life with, that you live life connected with, pretty soon, man, that's going to be your hobby. And what happens in this group of people in Acts chapter 2 is the community in which they live starts showing them favor. They start going, whoa, whoa. There is something different about these guys. This one dude just sold his house and gave it to this guy who actually took that money and gave it to a third person that he didn't even know so they could pay medical bills. When the bills were paid, these guys came and renovated this whole person's house who then sold it and distributed that money to even more. And they were like, how? What even makes that make sense? And it's Jesus Christ. It really is. 
And so, man, these guys had a bad dose of some Pentecostal praise going on, y'all. Huh? And, and we can too. And man, we've prayed about it in my family and we've wrestled with it and we're super busy. And it feels like there is no time, but we're committed to making time. Because we really believe that's what God's calling us to in this season. And I, be, I believe He is for you too. Here's a couple of things I want you to do. I want you to cancel your vacation a day early if you're going to be out of town on the 11th at 5 o'clock. And I want you to come back to make the meeting. I want you to cancel... Sunday evening dinner with your mother-in-law who makes roast that you don't even like and be willing to say, yo, mom-in-law, I got to go to church to an event and I want you to man up and bear the wrath of your controlling mother-in-law, right? I want you to keep your kids home from their football game that Sunday night and I want you to attend the event. I want you to cancel your TV show. I want you to not go to the store. I want you to... You arrange your life however you got to arrange it to make the meeting. And if you got a need right now that just can't wait, then this meeting is for you today. I'm going to close with a prayer. And after I close, whatever that need is that's too urgent to wait to the 11th, I want you to bring it forward. Look, this is how we do life together, guys is by having sincerity and openness and honesty and letting people lift us up when we need it. So I challenge you to come forward after I pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for a church that says, God, we want to do it however you're asking us to do it. And a church that says we, we are looking in God's word and we're, and we're praying and we're asking you to reveal it and leaders who are hungry for that. God, I pray you just... just distribute that passion all over this congregation. That you'd make us hungry really for the kind of life you're asking us and calling us to live. A life connected. A group of people who really do life together. And some people need that encouragement and that fellowship and that uplift today. Any under the sound of my voice who need that, I pray that you'd strengthen them to come forward. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me, church, while together we sing.